0: Working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana.
1: And financially supported by listeners like you. And now for your environmental reports. Indiana is the number one state in the country with over 24,000 miles in which most of the total miles of rivers and streams that are impaired for swimming and water recreation, according to the Environmental Integrity Project. This project is a nonprofit organization that advocates for more effective enforcement of environmental laws. Eric Schaefer, Executive Director of the the um, Environmental Integrity Project and the former U.S. Environmental Protection Agency attorney said that one of the main reasons the water is polluted is the runoff from manure from animal farms. E. coli and nitrogen ammonia are the main problems in the water. According to the Star Press, the White River at Muncie, however, has been doing better with its water quality. Lead and lead and chromium have seen a 97 and an 83 percent reduction, respectively. E. coli has been reduced by 87%. Looking downstream in regions around Indianapolis, including the Upper Fall Creek, Lower Fall Creek, and Eagle Creek areas, match the overall health of the river with a C rating. More than three-fourths of the White River in Marion County do not meet the state's water quality standards. White River pollution has been an issue for years and years. Ah, so the question is, why doesn't the legislator do something about it?
0: Earth Justice reports public interest groups have documented a pattern of pollution for years at the Merum coal plant in Sullivan County and urged the Indiana Department of Environmental Management in a letter to crack down on the violations now that the plant was no longer retiring as planned. The plant has repeatedly violated legal limits on dangerous pollutants, including ammonia, lead, barium, and chromium. The letter is from Earth Justice, Citizens Action Coalition of Indiana, Sierra Club, and Hoosier Environmental Council. The need to address the pollution is more urgent due to the fact that plans to shut down the dirty 41-year-old plant this year were canceled. Within a few months of the former owner revealing the plant would stay open, an out-of-state crypto mining company announced plans to build a large facility right next to the plant that would require a tremendous amount of power. The co-founder of the crypto company called the critics' assertions that the deal could keep a polluting coal plant open 100% correct. The crypto mine's energy demand could make it the largest electricity user in the Hoosier Energy Service area. The letter sent to envir- Indiana environmental regulators describes the environmental and health risk. For example, the letter states, Based on its own admission, the plant has repeatedly dumped wastewater into the Turtle Creek Reservoir, which connects to the Wabash River a couple of miles away, with illegal levels of em- of ammonia and iron, which can harm aquatic life, not to mention harming drinking water infrastructure. The plant's testing found groundwater on the property exceeded health limits for lead, barium, chromium, cadmium, lead sulfate, and fluoride. On top of that, the plant violated air pollution rules by producing an unacceptably high level of dense smoke, threatening the health of nearby residents who breathe that air. The life expectancy in Sullivan County is two years under the state average and nearly three years under the national average. Life expectancy is typical of counties near coal power plants. This development reveals again that Indiana has little interest in becoming fossil fuel free.
1: The Detroit Free Press announced the country's first wireless charging public roadway for electric vehicles. I saw this on the TV. This is interesting. A blue electric Ford E-Transit commercial van was able to charge as it moved over a quarter-mile stretch of newly paved 14th Street, a short distance from the towering Michigan Central Station, thanks to rubber-coated copper coils buried beneath the road surface. The Endeavor represents one of the piece one piece of a public private partnership aiming to show how this type of ev charging infrastructure could work in practice and it follows up on an announcement by governor gretchen whitmer in september 2021 that the state planned to launch the first wireless charging public road project in the country
0: ohio has recently allowed fossil fuel companies to drill in state parks and wildlife areas Now, opponents are appealing this decision. Thank goodness. Environmental groups argue that a state commission failed to consider all the factors required under the law, and it didn't hold a public hearing before deciding to open up bids for drilling. Among other things, the groups say the Ohio Oil and Gas Land Management Commission failed to consider all of the factors it was required to weigh under state law. The groups also allege that the commission failed to provide an opportunity for public hearing under state law.
1: There is an unopened, vacuum-sealed package of sausage in the refrigerator, and the label says it was best used by last week. Best by doesn't mean that the sausage is now spoiled or unsafe to eat, but it causes me pause. Date labeling of foodstuff goes back to the safety scares of the early 20th century. Instances of botulism in canned foods led manufacturers to adopt codes that that they stamped on their packaging to help retailers determine freshness and product quality. In the 1970s, these labels were made, made legible to consumers, but they had little impact on food safety because most issues arise during and after processing and by incorrect storage and handling. A 2020 study found that only 57% of U.S. adults could correct, correctly identify what best if used by and used by what, what, the, what those mean. Both refer to the manufacturer's estimate of when a, project, when a product is at peak flavor or quality. Consumers wishing to be safe often throw out perfectly good products. The the likely result will be a 12-ounce addition to the 130 billion pounds of food wasted in the United States this year.
0: And we certainly can't
1: afford that
0: with people starving to death. Global warming has increased the speed at which glaciers in Greenland are melting by fivefold over the last 20 years, scientists from the University of Copenhagen reported recently. Greenland's ice melt is of particular concern as the ancient ice sheet holds enough water to raise sea levels by at least 20 feet if it were to melt away entirely. A study of a 1,000 glaciers in the area showed the rate of melting has entered a new phase over the last two decades. This acceleration should persist because the carbon dioxide content in the air is increasing every year. Only when it... Only when there is no increase in CO2 can we begin to hope the global warming will stop. Assuming our current trend will continue, there is every reason to anticipate that 50 to 75 percent of the glacial ice on Greenland will eventually melt. And now, we turn to Robert Shull for his interview with local urban forester Haskell
1: Smith. This is Robert Shull reporting for Eco Report on WFHB. Today I'm speaking with urban forester Haskell Smith. Did I get that right? You did. Yep. All right. Urban forester. That's quite a title. How'd you become an urban forester? And and what personal characteristics need do you have to have to be a good urban forester?
2: Well, personally, I think uh, kind of I got luck of the draw to an extent, but I did work pretty hard for the uh, 10 years I've worked for the city to move up into this position uh, definitely have to have an appreciation and a love for trees and nature and everything kind of involved that goes into tree work um, and then I had that little bit of luck being in the right place at the right time
1: so what what would you say your relationship to trees is
2: um, do you hug them <laughs> I you know I try to manage them, I guess. Uh, protection, I try to do what's best for them uh, in the sen- in the urban sense uh, for my position.
1: I mean, do you consider them your friends? They, they need protection?
2: And- I mean, they absolutely do need protection. I, I guess I look at them as uh, kind of a piece of our infrastructure for urban society.
1: All right. And so what's your vision for... Bloomington, with regard to trees,
2: I more. I would like to see a higher canopy coverage. Uh, Bloomington, as a whole, sits at about thirty eight percent. I'd really like to wait, see wait, that.
1: wait. They're, they sit at about thirty eight percent of what?
2: Just canopy coverage. So, okay. if a hundred percent is everything that covers Bloomington, thirty eight percent of that is canopy. Well, um, we're, tree. Fa- we're falling short. Well, I mean, it's not bad. It's on average with some other larger cities in the United States. I would like to see us up in the 40s.
1: Well, what can you do to help that along?
2: Yeah, we preserve trees as we come across them in developments the, most, the best I can. Um, and then, you know, we get those juvenile and maturing trees to live to be mature trees, and then we keep planting and hope we can get these younger trees to become older trees.
1: And this is all within the city limits of Bloomington?
2: Yes, on public property.
1: Right. So, um, what what is the tree commission? It, it's not just a bunch of hippies that have <laughs> a beer party every now and then go out and hug some trees. Is
2: it? <laughs> no, it sure isn't. A uh, group of uh, varied professionals um, with various backgrounds, a lot of
1: are they paid or
2: they are unpaid it is a volunteered the commission, commission is staffed
1: is. with with volunteers yes right.
2: uh, we have a very um, versed background of folks uh, some retired professors uh, from IU and some graduate students a couple PhDs it's and all within the realm of um, nature I would say not everybody is an arborist or an urban forester. Uh, we've got a microbiologist, and um, drawing a blank on what everybody's title is. We have a, a landscape architect from IU, Mia Williams, is on the tree commission. But uh, there's seven of us, eight including myself. I'm the staff liaison, so make sure you know our meetings are set and what we're going to talk about and everything like that.
1: Well, what's the, what is it that the tree commission's going to be trying to accomplish in the next? Say six months.
2: Uh, so I think right now we're starting to look at an urban forestry master plan or a policies and procedures. Uh, in the past, we've just finished up uh, putting together a new tree care manual. It'll be the fifth edition. Uh, we did some Title Twelve Twenty Four updating, which is the city code in relation. Uh, excuse me, in relation to um, trees, uh, we're looking at. And So Title 20, which is the UDO, we talked about what tree species that we can plant in the streets. What well, the UDO once more is? Unified Development Ordinance.
1: Okay. So, okay, what, what does that mean? You, you so, can't just go chopping trees down. You,
2: well, the UDO, Unified Development Ordinance, is a larger ordinance that basically lays a framework for how people can develop land in Bloomington City Limits. Huh. So if they come in, they have to get... You know, so many driveways and apartments and yada, yada, yada. But in there, there's a section about trees and you have to have so many per, so many footage per road. Or if you remove this many, you got to replant it with this many. It has to be this species or okay. from a list of species.
1: Sounds like you're sort of holding the line there then.
2: Yeah. You know, you can't just come in and bare earth everything and put up a ramshackle housing development and walk away you have to follow you know the all of those standards
1: okay now what what plans are there to increase the coverage from do you have a target to say 40 percent or 45 mean, percent
2: for every tree removed we try to plant two
1: can you find places to do that it yeah looks to me like <laughs> I mean, you can't just plant a tree anywhere
2: uh, yeah it's tough but there are surprisingly a lot of planting spaces available in mm-hmm. bloomington and with how uh, newer developments are designed they leave extra room for trees.
1: All right. What can individuals do that are not in the commission?
2: To increase canopy? Yeah, yeah. Plant trees. (laughs) Yeah, but... (laughs) Preserve your trees, you know. Um, Make sure that you're doing the best you can for your mature trees. So not... Again, that's
1: holding the line. Holding the line.
2: Yeah, that's a big part of it. We don't want to lose, you know our biggest loss of canopy coverage in Bloomington has been on private property and through developments. Okay. So uh, kind of holding that line is just as important as planting new trees because if we can't get, keep what forest we have, we, we can't replace it at the same rate we're losing it. So we have to be proactive in preservation.
1: Okay. Suppose I want to plant a tree in my backyard. Am I supposed to? Would it be ideal that I come to the commission and say what kind of a tree should I plant?
2: Not necessarily. You're welcome to reach out to me through my email, and I'll try to give you at least some guiding steps that I can point you in the right direction to some uh, private folks in the in the city, business owners that uh, are very good at that kind of thing.
1: Well, we're going to make time at the end of this interview for you to give your contact information so people who want to do the right thing can with, with your help. Absolutely, that'll be. That'll be good. And so uh, I have heard that some time ago, some uh, industrious, well meaning folks planted a bunch of trees where they're just not the right kind of tree <laughs> to be planted in this. What's the story there?
2: Uh, I believe you're referencing calorie pear.
1: Okay, that sounds right. Yeah. Yep. Tell me about that.
2: Uh, so, like anything in a lot of science over the past 30, 40 years, uh, urban forestry has changed a lot. Uh, once upon a time, this 30 foot, 40 foot tall tree with be- beautiful white flowers was all the rage and what everybody wanted. And initially, it was a sterile tree, so it was supposed to be fine. And while they kept. Uh,
1: oh, a sterile?
2: It didn't produce seed Okay, to uh, proliferate. And so, uh, as they released more cultivars of it, um, come to find out the rootstock would. Shoot up a, a sucker or another growth, and then it would flower and it would pollinate these supposedly sterile trees, and then all of a sudden, we have these big non-sterile trees that are suddenly fruiting and okay. producing seeds, C- kind of
1: like bamboo. Yes,
2: <laughs> similar. It, they became invasive, and it became a, a, a huge issue. Um, but yeah, at the time, they you know couldn't see the forest for the trees, you know, uh. so. Uh, and we're trying to do the best we can to keep up with it currently, and we're removing them as fast as we can, but it is a long... Uh, we had 1,270-odd when I became urban forester. 700? 1,270, I think, is about the number we had.
1: That you wanted to get rid
2: of? That we current. I mean, we have about 1,100 left. So and I took over in August of last year, we've removed down to about 1,125, I think. So it's in the process. We've got nearly all of our park properties free of planted calorie pear. Now there's still some escaped that we have to go back and chop that are, you know, about an inch around. And they're still coming up because once those seeds get into the uh-huh. seed bank, yeah. they pop up over time. But yeah, it's an ongoing battle. We've got, uh, I think, about a 15-year program to remove all of them from our streets and parks. And uh-huh. With that, our parks plan is nearing completion. I think I have about four left.
1: Well, you sound pretty optimistic about the way things are going. Is there parts of your job that you get frustrated over?
2: Oh, absolutely. But the way I look at it is I I fight two battles. I fight battles that I know I can win, and I fight the battles that I can't afford to lose. And something like calorie pair is one that I feel like we can't afford to lose, but I'm optimistic in the long run we can turn the tide on it.
1: Is the City Council pretty pro-tree?
2: In, in my experience, it seems that way. They keep giving me a budget every year, and uh, I've you know, received good uh, will for all the projects we've done. But I've not actually had a lot of interaction with the City Council, personally. I've only been in this position about a year and a half now.
1: Okay, okay. So what do you see in the long run uh, for your career?
2: <laughs> I try to stay, you know, three to five. Don't get too carried away on how much the future brings. But uh, hoping that we can keep, you know, keep on keeping on. We got about uh, 800 trees in the ground this year. I'm looking at a similar number next year. Um,
1: you okay, know, I mean, as a career path, uh, uh, you, you feel you are there now. You are where you belong. Oh,
2: I'm, I'm at the top of my ladder. Yeah. I feel like um, I'm very happy with what I do. Um, and I really enjoy the you know tree work. I definitely don't miss running the chainsaw when it's 100 degrees, but I do miss being out uh, d- doing some planting here and there. I got to do some earlier this week. We did had a volunteer planting through the Tree Steward Program.
1: Well, Now, if somebody got to know you and thought, man, I'd love to do what he's doing, <laughs> what would you advise them, a young person?
2: Well, had I known back when I was 18, I would have went to purdue and got a you know a degree in urban forestry purdue offers ah. those four or even just a forestry degree yeah. something related in their environmental sciences something um go that route find a job in tree work do the work I think, I think that's i think the job
1: prospects are fairly good
2: i think aboriculture is becoming a more and more well-known um job opportunity in cities
1: well, I'm going to give you an opportunity now to tell everybody your contact information so that if they, they want to, uh, or some advice on chopping down or planting trees or a career path, they can get in touch with you.
2: Sure thing. I'm Haskell Smith. Um, you can reach me by phone at 812 349 3716. My email is smithh at bloomington.in.gov. Again, S-M-I-T-H-H at Bloomington.in.gov.
1: No, that's that's all for today then. all, that's right. all for this, this program. Yeah, well, thanks hey, for having me. Ha- Haskell, and that's H-A-S-K-E-L-L. Yep. Haskell, we certainly appreciate you coming in and sharing your
2: expertise. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Right.
0: This is In Nature. This is Juliana Daly with In Nature. Today, we are going to learn about the American woodcock, an endangered species sometimes referred to as the timber doodle, the bog sucker, the hokum poke, and the labrador twister. It is a small shorebird species and found in Indiana during the breeding season. The adult is plump, short-legged, and short-necked with a long, straight bill. It has cinnamon-colored underparts and a gray collar. Woodcocks walk slowly along the forest floor, probing the soil with its long bill in search of earthworms. It is hard to find except in the springtime at dawn or dusk, when the males show off for females by giving loud nasal calls and performing dazzling aerial displays. The male display is called the sky dance. After the male makes a buzzy, nasally call, he flies upward in a wide spiral. As he gets higher, his wings start to twitter. Then he zigzags back down, chirping as he goes, and lands, hopefully, near a female. The woodcock nest is on the ground with leaf and twig litter. The female lays one to five eggs that are grayish-orange with brown splotches. Males give no parental care. The American woodcock population has been declining because of hunting, habitat loss, and pesticides. Their heavy diet makes them vulnerable to poisoning by lead, cadmium, and other heavy metals. Preserving their habitat is necessary to prevent population declines. You've been listening to In Nature. For ECO Report, I am Juliana Daly.
1: And I am Robert Schull.
0: Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org.
1: And now for some upcoming events. Join the naturalist's at Spring Mill State Park for a hike into the upper portion of the Donaldson Cave on Saturday, December 9th from 1 to 2.30 p.m. You will learn about Spring Mill's cave system, cave fauna, and more. Meet at the Sycamore Shelter.
0: There will be a beginning birding hike at Spring Mill State Park on Sunday, December the 10th from 9.30 to 11 a.m. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center for a partially rugged hike to look and listen for native birds. Bird ID books will be available.
1: The Whooper Wednesdays will continue at Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area until February 21st. Come to the Visitor Center on Wednesday, December 13th at eight AM to walk the property and see if you can spot some of the resident birds, including the endangered whooping crane. Make sure to dress for the weather.
0: A program titled What's That Skull will take place at McCormick's Creek State Park on Thursday, December the fourteenth at ten thirty A. M. Meet at the Nature Center where you can explore a collection of skulls and learn what clues they can give you.
1: That's kind of spooky. Do <laughs> you know what a sm- smammel is? <laughs> you <laughs> plan to come to McCormick State Park on Saturday, December the 16th at 1030 a.m. to learn about You You will explore the life of some of the tiniest creatures that call the park home as you learn about the small mammals at McCormick's Creek. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy Holy and Juliana Daly. Today's news feature was produced by me, Robert Schull, and edited by Noel Herhusky-Schneider. Juliana Daly assembled the script, which was edited by Zero Rose. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Cade Young and Noel Herhusky-Schneider produced today's show Brandon Blewett is our engineer.
0: For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly.
1: And I am Robert Schull.
0: And this is Eco Report. Thank you for listening.
1: You've been listening to the Eco Report,
0: a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB
2: in Bloomington, Indiana.
0: Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org.
2: Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source
0: for South Central Indiana,
2: bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear.
0: Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas
1: directly to the Eco Report staff.
0: The email address is
2: earth at wfhb.org That's earth at (laughs) wfhb.org